Guys, I love movies. Let me rephrase that. I like movies. I love science fiction movies. We're going to play a little game. Who can name what movie this picture comes from? There's a trophy that says World, World's Greatest Grandma. Anybody? Think June of 2018. Think Marvel. Ant-Man. Ant-Man and the Wasp. Next slide, please. I really enjoyed this film. Me and the boys went and saw it last year. It had eye candy, had great special effects. It was stupid and funny. It was, what's up? <laughs> oh, sorry. By eye candy, I mean impressive special effects. <laughs> hey, guys. To the pure, all things are pure. <laughs> I'm not that pure. Anyhow. It was funny, it was entertaining, uh, it had, excuse me, I don't know how else to describe this next part, it had a quantum portal in the back of a molester van. It's a disgusting word, I'm sorry, but hey, seriously, no, no, no. But you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a shady van, there's no windows in the back. Anyways, anyways, stay with me guys. I'm pushing. Here we go. <laughs> there is one particular part in this film that came to mind when preparing for this morning. It's the point in the story where Cassie, this is Ant-Man or Scott Lang's little daughter, takes that little trophy, that trinket of her father's, to, to school for a day of show and tell. And as Cassie takes it to school, she thinks she's holding a funny gift that her dad received on Father's Day, that uh, he is playfully, playfully fond of, but in his own words, short of his daughter Cassie, it is his most prized possession. Little does she know that inside the silly little plastic trophy, heralding his awesome grandmothering skills, lays a device that has a, the power to save the lives of others. At this point in the story, because Cassie, Cassie's lack of knowledge, she is busy pure-heartedly telling her classmates about this funny little trophy. Meanwhile, the good guys need that hidden technology to be used the way it was intended to so that they can save the lives of many. Cassie is blissfully unaware of how powerful and important the thing that she is holding truly is. This is a bit of what it is like in churches in America when talking about the biblical concept of humility. We do not understand how powerful this gift truly is. Today's problem that we are attempting to tackle through this sermon is the fact that pride puts opposition between us and God and with all of humanity, and it is very difficult to get rid of. This is the, the text that we have been using for the series. It's Micah 6, 8. It says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? Southlands Fullerton, soon to be known as Mercy Commons, this message is titled, How to Become a Commoner. See what I did there? Clever, right? Mercy Commons, commoner. The definition of commoner is an ordinary person without rank or title. I have the privilege of landing this four-week series today. Nick did a phenomenal job launching us 
at the beginning of the series, he informed us of how he doesn't like the word good. I know, right? It's pretty funny. Um, no, what he really did is that he showed us where to find the power to do the good that God requires of us. Travis, two weeks ago, I cannot think of a better leader in our community to teach us on how to do justly. They are walking this out as they have embarked in this journey of foster care. And he brought it. He taught us what it looks like to engage mercifully and passionately in our cultures and our societies. And Sean taught us what it means to uh, ahava hased, or to love mercy. I love that. Um, and I have the privilege of landing us this week. Uh, this is our roadmap for this morning. We're going to look at our problem with humility. We're going to take a dive uh, looking at our model of humility. And then we're going to finish with, hopefully, if we have time, this is my favorite part. I'm really looking forward to it. I hope it goes better than my introduction. <laughs> our our, our potential future or the fruit that humility brings. All right, what is our problem with humility? Guys, um, John Piper did a lot of leg work for me in this particular portion. He, what's up now? It's, uh, I'm just giving credit where credit is due. He, he highlighted these three cultural issues that I'm going to dive straight into today. It's what, it's what our culture, our hearts, our upbringings, how they object to the concept of humility. And the first one is that we think being humble will equate to being unhappy. Somehow we believe that or we're taught that in our, in our culture. We think that it will make us timid or afraid if we're humble. And we think that humility is a motivational killer. It'll make us unproductive or unsuccessful. So I'm going to address those up front and then we'll get into our model of humility. So point number one, Will biblical, gospel-centered humility make us unhappy? If I don't look out for number one, then who will? This is from an article released by the Gospel Coalition in November of 2015. Um, it's written by a woman named Bethany Jenkins. And I want to read some of it to you. It says, when, psychologi excuse me, when psychologist Sean Aker was studying happiness at Harvard, his friends from Texas came to visit. As they uh, toward campus, they were amazed at its beauty and asked, Sean, why do you waste your time studying happiness at Harvard? Seriously, what does a Harvard stu student have to be unhappy about? And he replied, embedded within that question is the key to understanding the science of happiness. What that question assumes is that our external world is predictive of our happiness levels, when in reality, if I know everything about your external world, I can only predict 10% of your long-term happiness. 90% of our long-term happiness is predicted not by ex the external world, but by the way our brains process it. Jenkins continues, but it is not just our brains that process our external circumstances, our hearts do too. Both our minds and our affections influence how we see the world. Proud hearts are always unhappy, and complaining about situations and people, they think that they know the way their lives should go and how other people should behave. Humble hearts. Search scripture and let scripture search them. They receive from others and from God. They are flexible, not controlling. They think things might be messy right now, but who knows, maybe I need this. I know God must have a reason for it all, in quoting Keller, she closes, there is nothing more relaxing 
than humility. Humility doesn't make us unhappy. True gospel humility sets us free. It changes the way that we process the external circumstances of our perceived reality in a way that causes us to be less entitled and therefore more happy, according to Harvard psychologist Dr. Sean Aker. Point number two, will biblical gospel-centered humility make us unafraid? Will make us afraid, excuse me. Um, short answer, this is ridiculous. This claim. Um, I, I wrote a few statements and I just could not explain what I was trying to get across. And I'm just going to read a portion of scripture and see if I can give the gist to you. This is from Isaiah 51, verses 12 and 16. It says, I, I am he who comforts you. Who are you that you should be afraid of man who dies? A man who is made like grass. You have forgotten your Lord, your maker, who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundation of the earth. I am the Lord, your God, who stirs up the seas so that its waves roar. And I have put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth. And I say to you, you are mine. When the reality of who we are loved by hits our hearts, real gospel humility believes in the power of God and it emboldens us to live foolishly in the eyes of the world. Gospel humility will not make you afraid. It will make you way less concerned about the outcome of the thing that you are facing or worried about. It will empower you to use the words that God has given you to speak the truth to your neighbor, to your friend, or even in practical situations, humility empowers us to be bold. Point number three, will biblical gospel-centered humility make us unsuccessful? Let me just say this. If your definition of success <laughs> is showing the world how independently self-made awesome you are, it will absolutely make you unsuccessful. But have you ever worked with somebody like that? <laughs> have you guys been in a situation, whether maybe it's in a church context or maybe it's at work where you've had the privilege of working with someone that is clearly caught up in some form of degree of self-worship? It is extremely difficult. It is painstaking. Often you will, you will feel, or maybe you do this at times, I have done it where you can feel them manipulating the situation or just the fact that it's not their idea is the reason why it's not going to be accepted or approved. It can be extremely difficult to work with people like this. But what does the Bible say about humble ambition? In Colossians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29, it says this. Paul writes, Him, being Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we, may be, uh, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And he says this, For this I toil with all of his energy that he uh, powerfully works within me. Can you hear what Paul is saying? It's strange. It's extremely humble. His goal is to serve others, to present people mature 
in Christ. And his energy doesn't even come from himself. It comes from God. Yet, Paul struggles. He toils. This guy is a grinder. For my CrossFit buddies, this is the guy you choose on team workouts that are extremely difficult. He doesn't know how to quit. And guys, seriously, this may seem counterintuitive to our American brains, but let me just say this. Sometimes secular organizations in their pursuit of greatness accidentally discover the power of humility. It's secular humility, but the same principles can achieve some degree of success. And I just want just to share something that I've been studying that I would love to briefly run by you guys. Um, you may have heard of one of the companies um, that I'm going to reference. It's this company, company may have you, some of you have heard of it. It's called Google. Nick's a big fan of it. And guys, I love business, um, but this really is helpful, so just pay, pay attention. In 2000, there was this race between Google, a very small company at the time, and a company called Overture. Okay? The, the industry was betting on who was going to get their search engines designed well enough so that it could effectively, when you searched for something, that an ad would be able to pop up an incredibly helpful revenue-generating tool to whichever company figured out how to do this first. Overture had over, the owner itself had over a billion-dollar net worth. They had every brilliant person that they could find working on this problem. They were well-staffed, well-supported, and financially resourced. Google was a ragtag group of individuals from California. And during this, this time, um, sorry, this all comes from uh, the Culture Code written by Daniel Coyle. And uh, I promise this is going to make sense. But they examined what exactly happened in their organization in that year that took them to where they are today. And when they studied their company's cultured, culture, they, there was a few things that were extremely interesting. One, there seemed to be a level playing field amongst all employees. Okay? They would have these notorious kind of touch football games on Friday that would end with like blood, uh, hospital trips. They were very comfortable getting physical with each other. And then they had these roundtable meetings where anyone in the company could come together to debate with the owner, the key people, all that, to argue about what was the best way to make something work and what are the key leading things. It's this level playing field where we can talk and it started to seem like we're all on the same page. No one's above somebody else. That's secular humility. All right? And there was other things. They created incredible amounts of vulnerability. They realized that when they discovered mistakes and confessed them and fixed them, that the products got better and better and better. And the last thing, it's so interesting. The words that the author uses says there was high degrees of belonging. And all I can say is that when you look at these ingredients, they have somewhat kind of found a way to mimic a kind of worldly level of what just basic human Christian interaction should look like. We don't think we're better than one another. We confess our mistakes and we work together as a family to make things better. could go on and on on this topic, how Pixar, the Navy SEALs, the, the world's most incredible Ukrainian cat burglar team. Um, I'm t- seriously. 
But the thing that all of these organizations have in common is that they have learned that humility, even secular humility, is what will lead to arguably the greatest levels of entrepreneurial accomplishment the world has seen. Guys, pride puts opposition between us and God and all of humanity. Pride is a very hard thing to get rid of. It affects our relationships, all of them. It negatively influences our careers and calling. And it makes us incredibly greedy with our talent, time, and treasure. It is toxic to the human heart and poison to church cultures. Some have said it before, and I will say it again, this is a very big problem that we have at the root of every sin is our desire to come first. It goes back to the garden. It's never fully gone away. Is the thing that God is actively ridding the world of self-worship and creating submission to God. Um, the world only knows the, the problem the world has with, and the, why these ob objections are here is because the world only knows how to elevate and worship itself. These concepts are completely foreign to people outside of the experiential reality of the transformative power of the word of God and his spirit. The more humble we become, the more happy we become because we just think less about ourselves and take more joy in the service to others. The world can't understand how humility doesn't make us afraid because it only knows self-confidence and not God-confidence. And guys, seriously, Christians tend to take way more risks after they follow Jesus. They, they do things that only their faith can explain. Humility will not make you afraid. It'll make you bold, but secure. Humility will not make you unhappy it is the thing that God is trying to teach every man and woman in the world that it is better to serve than to be served. That the greatest in our kingdom will not be the first, but the last, and the king of all will be a slave to every man and woman that he interacts with. So if, these, if this is our problem, what is our model? How, how do we approach this? And we, we could spend weeks just covering this topic, and I've just selected three passes of passages of scripture that I think will really help us find the fruit that we are looking for. The first thing in our model of humility is that we need to understand that our life is a gift from God. The second thing we have to understand is that our talents are a gift from God. And the last thing that we want to look at for our model because it is the climax and the most important part of every message that we preach in this community. We want to look at Jesus himself as our model, and we're going to take our cues from there. All right, so point number one, how do we understand that our life is a gift? Um, this is from James. This was the first book of the Bible that I did an in-depth study on. I love James. He is savage. He is super intense. Um, we have that in common. <laughs> I've been told. <laughs> he says, come now. I love it. Come now. You who say today or tomorrow, we will go in such and such a town and spend a year and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, 
if the Lord wills, we will live. Let's just pause there for a moment. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, subtle, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Love it. Straightforward. How do you really feel, James? Um, please don't start saying, if the Lord wills, after everything that we say, okay? That is not what I am instructing you to do, but if your heart does not acknowledge that you are boasting and it is evil, you think that your life is in your control, and to a degree it is, but the really big things, like when it's going to end, is controlled by the sovereignty of God. I, I think, I think, this is so difficult. I think I'm really good at this, right? I thought about putting uh, something on, on Instagram. Hey guys, I'm preaching tomorrow. Come root for me and see how awesome I am, right? I'm preaching on humility, by the way. Um, <laughs> but with a humble heart, this is something I reflect on on a regular basis. You've heard it as I've been up here. The, the, the beat that your heart just took was a gift from God. The air that you are breathing that is keeping you alive is a gift from God. Today, God has gifted to you and you have a hundred opportunities to grow, to learn, to make mistakes, to help others. Today is a gift. This entire tattoo is a reminder to myself that this moment is caught up in the will of God and if I don't perceive that, I'm foolish. I need to be reminded daily but if God truly controls the moments of our lives, then that means he has gifted us this moment. Humility helps us to understand that the will of God is the primary determiner of the length of our life, and therefore, today is a gift from him. Point number two, our talents. Please understand that our talents and resources are a gift. This is First uh, Corinthians chapter four, verses six and seven. <clears throat> I have applied all these things earlier in the book. The things that he's talking about applying are faithful stewardship. That he's been entrusted things to God that he needs to to do in a way that is pleasing to God, that honors him. He's applied that to himself. Um, he has applied the role as a leader in the form of a servant. He's applied that to himself. And then I love this, in, in chapter 2 of Corinthians, when he's talking about the foundation laying work that he is doing, establishing this church and shaping it, he says that he was skilled by the mercy of God. Even the work that he is doing with his hands. He says, I have applied all of these things to myself and to Apollos or to Nick, Travis, Sean, for your benefit, brothers and sisters, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against the other, for who sees anything different in you? you you're just a steward. Even the good stuff you have, it's, it's God's mercy extended to you for the work that you're doing. For who sees anything different than you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Everything you think you can take credit for, our natural abilities, 
even the skills that we have painstakingly developed over years or decades are all on loan to us from God. I was having a conversation with a dear friend of mine this last week. She's a lady in this community. We are celebrating her 71st birthday pretty soon. Mm -hmm. She is of Puerto Rican descent. <laughs> her name's Enid. I love her. <laughs> and we talk a lot. And uh, I was talking to her about the sermon and just talked to her about, uh, you know, her career, her calling. And she brought this up. She says, you know what? When I was first going to school, do you know what the nationally ranked worst demographic in school performers was in education? It was female, females of Puerto Rican descent. She holds a doctorate in teaching. She is a teacher of teachers. I know this. I said, how do you feel about that? And she said, well, I could pat myself on the back and think about what a great job I've done, but it is just so obvious how God prepared me every single step of the way. She's not perfect. I get to hear all those stories too. <laughs> but she's humble. And I see why she has gotten to where she is in the condition that she is in. She didn't just arrive a bitter, selfish, hard-hearted person. She is a tender, loving, prayerful, successful individual that has humbly been blessed by God. Humility helps us to understand that everything we use to create, to design, to complete, to write, to clean, to organize, to learn, to teach is a gift from God that we have freely received. We can take no credit. If this preach goes well, it's going pretty good. <laughs> I can take no credit. It's okay. It's like a six, seven. I'm trying to bring it up. <laughs> if this goes well, no matter how many hours I've put in, it's the brain that God has given me. It's the thoughts. It's the experiences. He has laid it all out. It's been received. I just didn't mess it up in the process. That's it. When we understand that our talents are on loan from us from God, it allows us to walk humbly with our Lord. And please understand this, that Jesus is always our greatest example. And this is Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, and skipping over to chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. And listen to this part. It says, Only let your manner of life be, of the be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So whether I come to see you or, or if I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Having this mind among yourself which is in yours in Christ Jesus. 
this next part is our example. This next part is the thing that empowers us to do the first part. What he is describing is unifying mankind. He's taking all of our selfish and bitter and striving hearts and smashing them together using words like striving side by side, being of one mind, one spirit, in full accord. He's bringing humanity together. This is what my God does. And this is how we can participate with him. Just listen to this. Look at the steps that are laid out for us as a people. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who thought he was, sorry, who though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he emptied himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is our model. So what do we see? In this model, we see step one, we are not equals with God. Go ahead and pull that up, guys. who though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God. If Jesus did not think he was equal with God, what business do I have for a moment thinking that I can rule and reign in my life? Christians, I have lost count how many times I have had to remind myself of who is in charge and why it is that way Countless times in the last 78 days. This is the journey. We preach the gospel to ourselves. We acknowledge areas of our lives that lack humility. This is not something you do one and done. It's something you do again and again and again and again. And if we are to, to expect this fruit or to, to hope for it, and we're going to get there what our potential fruit is, but I can promise you it will not happen in a community that is proud and in standing in opposition to God. Guys, I take, this is my pledge to you. But when I notice pride or if anybody else does, I will humbly confess it and I will return to the Father. We need each and every person that considers this place home to be humble. This is this is the thing that is going to empower us to see the change we want to see. And for those of you who have yet to place your faith in this incredible God, the problems that we see in the world, like murder, genocide, um, unkindness, humiliation, rape, these horrible atrocities are caused by this thing. And until we are freed or helped from a power that is outside of ourselves, these things will systemically exist in our lives to one degree 
or another. In the beginning of this story, when mankind chose self-rule over the rule of God, it stained and ruined all of it to a degree. And God is actively redeeming and restoring us back to himself and to one another. Step one in this journey for me and for the brand new believer is to acknowledge that we are not God. Step number two, become a servant. Did not consider to have equality with God to be something to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. That was step two for Jesus. That is step two for us. This is going to get a little awkward, but I want to, we're not going to raise hands. But do you serve your church? Yes or no? Don't answer it, please. I don't, don't, I'm, not, I'm not thinking of anybody in mind. We don't have serve team signups today either. I just want to explain this. This is, this is not some cleverly worded thing. I genuinely, wholeheartedly believe that this is going to be incredibly important to our future as a people. Do you serve? We're, we're ridiculous, us leaders. It's crazy. We believe that every Christian should serve like every single one of them. And we're like, yeah, serve here. If you can on Sunday morning, serve somewhere else. But to be a member, that's one of the things we talk about. We're going to serve. And why? Because Jesus did it. And we need to be humble. And even when we're not humble, when we serve, it helps make us humble. It's a process that, that Jesus laid out knowing that, hey, step one, I'm God. Step two, you're going to need to do this next a lot, right? We serve. Step three. Jesus emptied himself by being obedient. Obedience to God is the thing that empties us of our pride. Jesus didn't have to empty himself of his pride. He emptied himself of his immortality as he took on a human body. He was going to live forever, all these things, but his physical body was going to experience death. That's about the length of what he emptied of himself of. We could talk more about that, but we need to empty ourselves of the thing that God is trying to get rid of, and it comes through obedience in Jesus. What is God asking you to do? Maybe it's much larger than signing up for a serve team. Maybe it's much more challenging than something so simple, showing up once a month, for an hour to bless the church and to humble ourselves and to participate, being together and discipling one another. My friends, empty yourself. Say yes to the thing that Jesus is asking you to do. And step four, my favorite step, God will make Jesus more famous in our midst if we're able to do this. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess. If we can acknowledge that we are not gods and if we can become servants and we can empty ourselves, the name of Jesus gets higher. It gets elevated in new levels. In the model we see in Christ, we learn this, that humility loves to serve and give itself away. And if we follow Christ's example, it will help consider the needs of others greater than our own. We will be merciful and compassionate. So this is our model. But what is the potential fruit that is in store 
for people that can walk humbly with their Lord. Piper put it this way. Humility is the soil in which everything good in the Christian life grows. Humility is the soil in which everything good in the Christian life grows. I know it was a silly little distracting story apparently earlier. One of the things I was hoping to deposit in your brain in that story, the daughter, the child, believes what she's holding is a playful trinket but it is the prized possession of the Father. Do we view humility as a toy? As something, you know, we could show off at show and tell? Or do we actually believe it has the power to empower us to save the lives of others? Is this something that we take with sobriety or is this something that we just blush at? I believe like like Ant-Man, short, of his children, it's one of his most favorite gifts. I believe that it is not a trinket, that it is powerful technology that God has created to restore the world. And are you guys willing to become commoners? And dude, I'm sorry, let me say this. I am so ridiculously proud of our people. I I get to serve with them on, on Sunday mornings. We have such a selfless group of people that have helped partner with the Lord to establish a light in the city that is helping many people. Guys, we, we, our, our serve teams are good. They're incredibly healthy. But logistic need, needs a little bit of love. Where's Mitch? But <laughs> we've been, dude, we've been doing a lot of work. I don't blame. Um, but the reality is our teams are good. So why am I up here talking about this? We need you to serve for your benefit. We need you to serve for the sake of the entire health of our community. We need to be of one mind, of one spirit, and of full accord. And one way we could do that is to spend time together serving the church. Will we become commoners? Are we willing to lay our lives down for the benefit of others? Are we able to dethrone our own desires for the benefit of others? And just, um, there was something else mentioned in the culture code that I just briefly want to touch on, and it's, it's just this, this thing. They, they looked at these incredible groups, and I love reading science-based information that can kind of help you understand why people are winning. And it's so beautiful when you see the truth of scripture actually in there shaping it. But it said, great leaders do this. And as we head into this next season, I'm not saying I'm a great leader. I'm just like, got it. This seems to work. It seems helpful. And it's just good direction setting. They just talk a lot about where we're at and where we're trying to go. So in just a few words, I want to do that. And Ben, you can come up. We're going to land in about one minute. So where are we at, guys? This is where it feels like we are at as a leader. I don't know necessarily how to put it in words in a concise way, but just listen. We are trying to do this. We are trying to, met, we are trying to let the manner of our life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. We are trying to stand firm in the spirit. We are trying 
with one mind striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. That's it. That's where we're at. That's what we're trying to accomplish. And where we're going, guys, um, church, I believe that if we do this well, we will see true greatness. We'll see the name of Christ exalted even higher in Fullerton, and we'll see the knees of many kiss the ground. And we will see tongues confess the lordship of our king. We've got to do what is good. We've got to do justly. We have to love mercy. And if we walk humbly in our Lord, he will help us grow the thing in you that will rid the world of selfish ambition and vain conceit. My friends, become an accommoner with me so that the mercy of God can grow and spread at our midst. God opposes the proud. We don't need any opposition in our community. We need the power of God. Listen up, church. Believe in Christ and he will make you grateful for every breath of your life. He will help you to steward every gift his father has entrusted you. Become a commoner that toils to see others come to maturity in Christ. And we as a people will have one mind and be of one accord and in one spirit and we will shine the glory of Christ brightly in the city. And this will cause the knees of men and women to kiss the ground and their tongues to confess that Christ is our Savior. Jesus, have your way with me. And all of my friends, everyone who has claimed to follow you, Lord, we pray that you would rid us of our selfishness. God, I want to pray that you would teach us to, to grow in our, our understanding of your majesty so that we could understand how small we are, but how loved we are by such a powerful God. So God, would you help us to serve one another, whether it's through a serve team or just in our city, would you help us to be bold in our confidence of what you can do? And would you help us to accomplish great things for your glory in our city?